Hello, Texans, and good evening. Mark Vandermeer with you on Texans All Access tonight as we are looking forward to training camp. It's the eve of the Texans departing to the Greenbrier for year number two there of training camp and season 17 of Houston Texans football. And joining me tonight, D.P. Sidhu. She'll start it off. Jeff Van Gundy. We're going to have highlights of his podcast that he did with me last week. We're going to have some great moments from that for you a little bit later on in the show. D.P., how's it going tonight? It's going great, Mark. It's been a long time since I've been on with you. On Texas I, All Access. It really? It's been me and Johnny for a while. Yeah, we've done uh, podcasts and such That's from this been... studio. Yes. So it's a, it's a little different. Here we are the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Soon we will not be. We will be in West Virginia in the mountains, which is always weird for me because it reminds me of central Pennsylvania where I started my radio career. It does look a lot. I remember driving through, like, the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and mm-hmm. it looks a lot like oh, that yeah. area. It really does. I mean, it's that part of the country in general anyway. Right. And West Virginia is kind of a, an interesting state because you have part of it that is so close to Pittsburgh. Morgantown is pretty close to Pittsburgh. I mean, when the hurricanes, when we were going to Morgantown, we'd stay actually right outside of Pittsburgh and make the drive in because you didn't want to have anything to do with Morgantown. But that's still three and a half hours in the Greenbrier, which is south and about four hours from Charlotte. And I don't know how you no, feel. There are no close cities to there, the Greenbrier. There's no good way to get there. You know, my family's coming in. They're going to actually fly to Lewisburg, which is nearby. But it's not like you can just go to Lewisburg, direct flight from Houston. It doesn't happen that way. So how are they getting there? You go to Washington, D.C., and you take a boat. Then you take a train. Then you take <laughs> nah, a stagecoach. You actually, uh, they actually have a puddle jumper that goes from D.C. into Lewisburg, which is close to the Greenbrier or Chicago. So that's how they work. Yeah, out. the Greenbrier started direct flights actually from Chicago and D.C., which is great if you live in those two areas. But yeah. I think from Houston, you could just connect there. But I think you fly, you draw, you fly into any state, you got to make that three, four hour drive. Are you expecting more fans than ever? To show up, I mean, then ever, then last ever. year, <laughs> then the one ever. previous year. Well, maybe then ever because the Saints were there for three years, but I bet we topped them. In fact, I know we did because last year the Greenbrier peeps were all saying, "You guys put on a show in terms of everything we did to outfit the place and the Houston Methodist practice fields and Xfinity and Academy and all all our camp coverage and camp sponsors and." It was all decked out. They were amazed with how we decked the place out. It looked really good. I do expect more fans this year just because I think people are now excited about Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Last year he wasn't starting. So you had a few people that were excited about it. More were excited about the, the, the veterans that we have on our team. But I think that factor will bring in a lot more Clemson fans, a lot more Texans fans on the East Coast that don't mm-hmm. normally get to come to games. And I still think we're going to have some fans that will travel from Houston that just will work their vacation plans around West Virginia because I met a few people like that last year too. All right, we're going to highlight some of the things in an article I wrote about more training camp to-dos. I got my to-do list. and I think I came away with six priorities between last week's piece and this week's piece. And in this week's piece, I reviewed last week's piece in case anybody missed class. <laughs> I really I allowed them to read the Cliff's Notes do those still exist? Are those online? They are. They're online Do now. you even need them, though? Don't you just Wikipedia everything? I think my yeah. son at 12 years old is starting to Wikipedia books that he has to read. i got to figure this out. Yeah, they do, actually, because I was looking up Cliff. I was telling my son about Cliff's Notes, and I said mm-hmm. he had Why never heard of them. Why did you do that? No, because, well, they're not allowed to use them, but I was like, I wonder if they're even around. So I, I looked it up, and I guess they're all online. They were now. pretty good, as I recall. I mean, you could get by with some Unless you had teachers that would ask questions that were definitely not discussed in the Cliff's News. Oh, man. That's which tough, I had a though. lot. I might never remember that part of the book anyway. You know, I mean, Cliff's how much, were, do you, how much were, <laughs> reading comprehension do you really want me to have? So here? you did some Cliff's Notes for training camp? Uh, I did. I a did, preview. actually. But before we get to that, yeah. I wanted to. The offseason is over now. We're saying goodbye because tomorrow night we're going to be live from the Greenbrier. We're going to just focus on camp. So this concludes the offseason. 
And are you with me that the biggest story in the offseason as far as this organization went actually occurred in January when they made the switch to Brian Gain? I mean, I think that that was probably the biggest story. Or am I wrong? How do you see it that as the feel, lead writer? That feels like such a long time ago. It was. <laughs> you almost forget that this is still his first season yeah. as general manager because he was really only gone for last season. He was here yep. until last May, yep. and then he left. And he's a big presence in the building anyway. So one of the players even joked that he didn't even realize he was gone. One of the players that mm-hmm. signed in the offseason again. I remember that. Well, you know, time flies. You know, and the season goes by in the blink of an eye. I mean, I think I don't think that's as big of a story just because I don't think we're going to see significant changes from Brian Gain taking over. I think that he's worked with Bill O'Brien. Mm-hmm. It's not like this huge shakeup where you bring in somebody with a completely different vision. I think it'll be. Oh, as far as the team vision and what, what you see it on the field yeah, schematically and all that. Exactly. So yeah. I, I don't see it making a, a huge impact like it's. But you've seen different. it in the building, though, the physical impact. The physical impact, because there are a lot of new coaches. Uh, and the new, facilities. The facilities look different. I mean, the facilities are so – it blows me away. Now, I think they needed an upgrade. Like I've said before, it was state-of-the-art when they opened it. You want to maintain state-of-the-art, you got to keep changing it. And they went through some big changes, and we've talked about that plenty. But I think that that is a real gain, maybe a gain O'Brien thing. You know, their alignment, they've determined, along with Jamie Roots and Bob McNair and everybody, Cal McNair, they said, look, let's just go ahead and blow out the kitchen – or the cafeteria, rather, blow out the weight room, just do some new things here and just sort of hit reset on the facilities as much as they possibly can at the moment. I think it was time for a refresh, but I also think that with all the injuries that happened last year, they had to self-scout and say, okay, Mm -hmm. what can we do differently heading into this season? So I think it's all going to be positive for the Texans, having Mm -hmm. all these new facilities, having a brand-new strength and conditioning team, new nutritionists, new everything. Like, everybody's raving about it so far. And I think we're going to see the impact of it. I mean, can't have – I mean, I should knock on wood – can't have more injuries than you had last year, but you want to see significantly less severe injuries. Well, especially to the the people who got them, although it seems like everybody got something. Um, And I'm sure they did, but we all know who missed the season. You know, you mentioned Luke Richardson and the – strength and conditioning program, the sports performance aspects of what's going on here. I think that that acquisition is as big as anything they did this offseason because he was highly coveted. I mean, he was really doing well in Denver, won a ring there. They loved him. He's a top-notch guy, and to get him – now, I know it doesn't, like, make big headlines on Sports Center, but in the football world, a lot of eyes open when they saw that Luke Richardson came here. I think it makes a big difference for the players and how they work out. And Denver, I think, did want to keep him. The difference was that the Texans were able to offer him a bit of a promotion. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't just head strength and conditioning coach. He was in charge of sports performance, nutrition. Right. Everything sort of fell under his umbrella. And which his influence had a lot to do with these changes. They did. I mean, I've talked to him in the hallway here and there. Mm-hmm. So he was with Kubiak for a year in Denver. So, wow. you know, there's a, there's a little bit of, of crossover there with mm-hmm. the Texans organization. Obviously, Bill O'Brien thought very highly of him. He comes well-recommended. I mean, I just think in in, the, in this building, you just hear the players talking about the food and how mm-hmm. the changes to their body and how they're feeling. Deshaun Watson talked about how there's certain nutrition now that will help his knee heal better. This was a few months ago. Wow. Like to think that, and I've always believed in that, but, you know, to get like 20-something-year-old players to buy into that yeah. is difficult. But once they see the results... I mean, that's when a program really starts working. 22 years old. I might have put queso on the knee and see if that works. (laughs) 22 years old, and he's buying into all this stuff. But it is his life. It's his career. It's his livelihood. So I get it. Absolutely. But I think that's another big story. I mean, we've talked about that a lot. So I think it is 
relative to what's going on here, a pretty big story. What else? I mean, the draft, the free agent acquisitions. I think all the roster changes that happen in the offseason. C.J. Fedorowicz retiring. The Texans drafting two tight ends. You get a new special teams coach. I think that there's going to be a rookie that joined this team that's going to get a starting spot. And I'm really interested to see who that's going to be because we've had so many offseason Most likely to get a starting spot. Which rookie, in your opinion? Is it Justin Reed? Is it Kiki QT? Is it one of the tight ends? I mean, I, I mean, the tight end is tough because if they not? open with one tight end on the field, you assume it's Ryan Griffin if he's healthy. But if they go with two tight ends, now it opens up the whole can because you have all right. This, is Steven Anderson the guy because you need a receiver out there? Or if you're going double tights and you want to pound the rock a little bit, or a show that you're going to pound the rock, do you put Jordan Thomas in there, or maybe Aikens who? Looked bigger than I expected when I first saw him come into the building. But what are your thoughts on that? I definitely – I would put Kiki QT up there mm-hmm. because I think there's so much of a need at as a returner. Right. And I think they don't want to compromise Will Fuller by putting him in that position again to have him as a return guy and as your number two. He's, right. he's proven himself valuable when healthy, so I think they're going to try to protect him and keep him healthy. So I think Kiki QT's got a really good shot. Tyler Irvin's still working his way back from injury. But after seeing Kiki in the offseason and in OTAs, John Harris and I were saying he's – He's really impressive. It seemed like everything that kind of came his way, even not perfect throws, you know, a little bit high here and there. He has great hands, great speed. I'm really excited to see him. He seems really explosive and fun to watch. Yeah. Um, I, and you know what? I think the tight ends, you, Jordan Aikens, I, I think he could he could make a push for that starting spot. Well, that'll be interesting because, you know, Griffin knows the system and everything. And I feel horrible for Ryan because you feel like he's one concussion away from maybe that's it. I mean, who knows with – it's what happened tough, with C.J. Fedorowicz? Yeah, it's a tough position to play. Steven Anderson was hurt last year too. Or he had yeah. the concussion. Uh, he had the concussions also yeah. as, as well. Well, and they all they were all they out were for all, week two. They were all concussed. And then when Steven Anderson came back, he definitely didn't look like himself. And I and I mm. wonder how much of that is once you've been concussed, you know that you're more vulnerable to getting concussed Who knows? when you come back. So you play a little bit differently. He made I mean, that tremendous catch on fourth down against the Tennessee Titans on the road. I mean, that, who knows? You're right. You want to get everybody and keep everybody healthy. That's my number one priority, by the way. That Spoiler alert. But, and, and there's, <laughs> it's not one. just luck, I think, that goes into that, but we'll get into that later. I'm with you, though. Like, I would say it's Kiki QT most likely to start among the rookies. But with Justin Reed, with Andre Hall out. Yeah, Justin Reed. He's got a good chance here. But Kareem Jackson plays safety now. And obviously Tyron Matthews is going to play. So I don't know what they do back there. And we'll go over that a little bit in the next segment. But if I had to say most likely to start, I'd probably still say, you know, QT in the slot versus Reed at safety. Here I am sort of thinking aloud. I would say QT maybe. You know, I think Reed's going to get in there. Don't get me wrong. They go they go dime. Reed is in for sure. They go nickel. I don't know. Base defense, I don't know. I just got to see it. That's what we'll be looking for at the Greenbrier. I just think that the learning curve at the position of safety is so much steeper for a guy like Justin Reed to be mm-hmm. able to read the offenses and react quickly. It's going to take him a little while to get there. Right. So I think, what, what if he is? What if What if within the first few weeks you know that's your guy? That's totally possible. But I'm just giving him a few months at least to sort right. of learn the system. And then you never know with injuries. You, you never want to see it happen, but maybe he gets he gets some starts as well. Mm-hmm. But with Kareem moving there, I think Kareem's got the experience. And then obviously Tyron Matthew. I am really excited to see him out at camp as well. Yeah, me too. And we're going to get him mic'd up one of these days pretty soon here. So they got to be in pads for us to mic him up. Otherwise, we'll crush the microphones in the non-padded uniform. He spoke at an Academy event yesterday, and mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. He was asked, uh, which player are you most excited to see on the field? And he said Kevin Johnson. 
Oh, that's great. He's really excited to see Kevin Johnson, his work ethic, how he's worked this hard this offseason. That's definitely going to be a story I'm going to follow throughout training camp. You want to talk about guys you want to see really emerge this year. And as, bounce back, yeah, definitely. Because yeah. he, he hit a slump last year, mm-hmm. and everyone saw the promise he had as a rookie. Right. And I and I have to think that injury has something to do with that. It definitely affects you in the head. Mm-hmm. But to have a healthy offseason and to work your way back, I'm excited to see what he does. Well, I think it affects you in so many ways. I mean, you know, I have nothing to compare this to. Obviously, not a professional athlete. Spoiler alert. Mark, spoiler Mark you're, alert. Doing, you're doing play-by-play, yeah. and you mess up a call horribly bad. Do you I, bounce back, or does it sit with you for a little while sits, before you get over it? It sits with me, or I'll, I'll give you another example that does sort of apply. It's not apples to apples, but when I had all my voice issues, and I still struggle with this stuff. You know, it's like having an injury, and you're always watching out for it. But not being able to go there with my voice, go to certain levels, Octaves. a range, uh, a level of delivery, projection, excitement when big plays happen, and even sometimes little plays, that really affected me. Because all of a sudden you feel like, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't react that way. And your mind is using this governor now to sort of, watch over your voice to make sure that you don't go to certain places, even in conversations like this. And that was really bothersome to me. I've had issues over the years with that. And I thought, imagine being an athlete where, like, I know I can't cut this way on my knee, so i got to go straight instead of I, – I can't make that cut. I can't make this move that I used to make. That's got to be so aggravating, especially when that's your livelihood. Well, guess what? My voice is my livelihood, and that was really bothering me. And it still does, but much less because I've – I could go, you know, we could do a podcast on, on vocals. Someday on the deep slant, I want to be a guest <laughs> so and I'll talk about your vocal warm ups and I'll, everything that goes into. I'll talk about how acid reflux affects the voice. And you look at me, it's not it. like I don't look exactly portly like I'd be suffering from heartburn every single <laughs> But let me tell you, it has nothing to do with weight or anything. It is uh, something that a lot of people suffer from. And I had tremendous vocal issues because of it. And I didn't really have major heartburn or reflux symptoms other than. The acids burn in the vocal cords, and I talk a lot, and I should probably shut up more. Well, it's funny because anyone that knows you knows that in social settings, you don't like to go anywhere where there's loud music, where there's a lot oh of ambient gosh. noise. Uh, you it's came to true. my house. You came to my house once uh, for I th- it was it was my birthday, I think, and a lot of my Your friends surprise were, party. My surprise party. I was surprised to see you there. Mm-hmm. I definitely did not expect to see you you among my friends, but they were so excited to talk to you. They're like, "Oh, it's the voice of the Texans." When you left, someone came up to me and said. He's so shy. He oh, no. And I said, no, 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 no. He's not shy. <laughs> They're like, he just talked really softly. I feel softly. horrible now. He just talks really softly. Somebody said I was shy. Yeah, well, I said, that is the last thing he is. He's just Your husband did voice. a great job, and there was somebody, I don't know if they were a pro, but they were DJing, and it was, you know, the music was thumping a little bit that night, you know, yeah. and. That's not your ideal scenario. It's not, because if I have to raise my voice uh, to a certain level, a loud room will kill me more than anything. Because you don't realize it. Well, you do realize I it. I do realize it. Because when you happens. come back from Vegas, I have you Vegas sound voice. like Kathleen Turner does <laughs> now. And it's just, it's not good. You but know you've what? been talking in loud rooms for a whole weekend. No, I've, and I've learned as well, like when you go to concerts or when you want to sing along to a song that you mm-hmm. hear, you got to lip sync. You cannot sing at oh, the top of your voice. Because no one's going to hear it anyway. No one's going to hear it anyway. Yeah. And then I'm just compromising my own This time I know <laughs> it's for real. Okay. Uh, next probably segment. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I don't know why that song popped <laughs> into my head. Next segment, we're going to talk about training camp to-dos. I've got six of them. I want to see if you agree. And then Jeff Van Gundy coming up. It's Texans All Access.
Texans All Access continues here from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm Mark Vandermeer, and away we go. Segment two, we talked a little bit in segment one about the big off-season stories. The off-season's over. It's the eve of departure to the Greenbrier for the Houston Texans. We are going tomorrow. We will have all our coverage for you every weekday morning, the first couple of weeks of practice, 8 to 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 610 Texans Training Camp Live. And then every night, 6 o'clock, Texans All Access. So you'll hear from your Texans. You'll hear from Bill O'Brien. You'll hear what's going on at Texans Training Camp. And after every practice, we'll have later in the day, you want to check it out, social media, HoustonTexans.com. It's Texans Training Camp today. It's a TV show that's digital. Watch it on your phone. It really is a great way to get you up to date on what happened at camp, watch all the highlights and everything, and just be following us on all the social media channels because we're live out there before practice. You're, are you going to be on the Foursquare Network this year? I, if I'm invited as a guest, I would love to. Yeah, I was on it a few times last year. Seth Payne co-hosted with me one day. He did, because huh? Drew. But you know what? Now Drew's not going anywhere because that was when Drew was. Oh out. yeah, we Drew. In. Yeah, because we were there for like you know three months last year. Felt like. <laughs> now uh, well, we were there up, for three it, weeks. It blew up. Like I left, I left for a little bit, and I came back, and the Foursquare Network became a thing. Yeah, it so I had thing. to catch up on like previous episodes mm-hmm. and broadcasts. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, I guess the D linemen they used to watch the previous day's broadcast before their meetings every day. Oh so my then gosh, the pressure though. was on because yeah. you're thinking, here's Anthony Weavers, J.J. Watt, all these guys are Never watching Never mind that like 40,000 people are watching it live. <laughs> I've got six guys, well, six, The D linemen are going to be really, really – and then we had, we yeah. had reoccurring storylines like the fact that the, the players accused the coaches of cheating. That oh, they yeah. would cl- watch the watch the clock because they knew when pr- when the when the they'd blow the horn to start practice. I think didn't. I knew about the game four square, but not I entirely. To, and I then I learned it about again. it. So they play this before practice. Those who don't know, and we broadcast it live because you know after a while, like watching guys stretch, that only goes so far. <laughs> we go four square. It's highly entertaining stuff. There's a champion every day. There's a king. It's it's really good stuff. All right. So DP, uh, speaking of defensive line, because they're the four square guys. That is not one of my priority groups here. Not that they're not a priority. Everybody's a priority. Watts coming back, rock and roll. Let's go. But to me, that's not one of the position groups that has to be put under the microscope like some of the rest, at least for us. You know, the coaches are doing what they do. They might be in one of the better situations uh, as far as position groups on the team with J.J. coming back. Oh, and the yeah. D.J. Reader with all the starts under his belt. I mean, I, I'm expecting big things for D.J. this year. Well, and then you got so much depth potential anyway. You have Brandon Dunn. You have Christian, Christian Covington, Covington. You have Carlos Watkins. You had good players. Joel Heath coming back. I mean, you look at who's on the line. And then who knows what Romeo Cornell wants to do. Hey, Jadeveon Clowney's actually a defensive end. Sorry, guys. And we're going to yeah, start oh, Scarlet and Merciless right. uh, at, at the edges. And I, I don't know if he's going to do that or not, but everything's in play here. You have a lot of versatility, and they love that. And linebacking, while we're on the subject of the front seven, that's not a, a, a position group of concern. When I look at the entirety of the front seven, the linebacking core, the outside linebackers, of course, Whitney's coming back healthy. And then you look inside with McKinney. And Dylan Cole backing up Zach Cunningham, who's in year two. Cole in year two, obviously. Hey, those guys, you know, we talk about what they did last year. This is year two. This is when you look for that jump from them, and they played well. Let's go. Dylan Cole at at inside linebacker, what a steal for the Texans last year. He steps in and does some great things on special teams. He always seems to be around when the tackle's made on special teams. What he's able to do against the run, he brought his speed, he brought his physicality. That's a good point about special teams with him. Yeah, Yeah, they love guys that can play special Mm -hmm. teams, but then he can start as well. Bernard McKinney and Zach Cunningham. I don't know how much we expected out of him being a rookie, but I think he surpassed them. If there was any silver lining, 
lining in a year of injuries is that you really got to see what you had in everybody. And it gave everybody a chance to play and start at some point in the season. Yeah. But I think you're right. Front seven, just yeah. cross it off the list. Yeah, cross it off. Why don't we just cross off the whole defense while we're at it? Because you're going to go secondary well, next. Well, hang on a second, though. Because that is actually one of my key little position groups here. Only because you're moving guys around, right? You're moving Kareem to safety. J. Joe and I'm just projecting this right now. J. Joe and Kevin Johnson start outside. You know, I know everybody's read articles about Colvin wants to start outside. He can. He talks about it. I don't know what they're going to do, but I expect Colvin to be in the slot. And uh, let's just talk about nickel here. I don't. I don't even want to talk about base defense. You're hardly ever in it. So you have Colvin in the slot. J. Joe and Johnson outside. And Kareem does he start at safety? Is it Justin Reed like we talked about last segment? You know, Tyron Matthews going to start at safety. No Andre Hall, of course. Corey Moore is going to be back. You know, you got a lot of different things in play here in the defensive backfield. And I think it's not like I'm really concerned with it necessarily, but I'm eager to see how they line everybody up because there's so many different ways you can go. And if you get hurt at corner, it gets pretty thin in a hurry. And, you know, move Kareem, whatever, or Colvin outside. If, you know, one of the outside guys gets hurt, you put Kareem in the slot. So, yeah, there's an option right there. But you do get thinner faster than you think. I guess a lot of teams will say that. Though. I mean, that's why you have so many guys that are versatile that can play so many different positions. Yeah. Tristan Deku, he was corner, moved to safety. Forgot about I mean, I forgot, I forgot to mention But you're that. right. Like, yeah. he's down there. He's 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 in that mix as well. Mm-hmm. But you make a good point. Like, when, when you drop off the, from the starters, what's next? But I think one of the one or two or more of these guys are going to show themselves to us right. in camp. But I think that that D is... D-Virgin, he, he made some plays this offseason, D-Virgin. I mean, you look at all... If, I mean... The, the rookies are going to be really interesting to watch, especially the guys from San Jose State. How about that? <laughs> all of them. Now, all of them. So uh, I'm looking at this, though. Obviously, health, we talked about it, the changes in the building, some of the moves they're making. How much rest do guys like Watt get? How much does Watson actually do? Clearly, by what you've seen on video, he's capable of doing whatever you need him to do. But how much do you want him to do? How much exposes him? I don't know the answers to these questions, and these questions will be answered at training camp, but I'm eager to see what they do. Well, Bill O'Brien, before the team broke for that long month that they go away, he said they were going to sit down and decide how many reps between him and Brian Gain and their sta- their, mm-hmm. their staffs, they were going to decide how many reps does Deshaun get in training camp, how many does he get in the preseason. Mm-hmm. I think as many as he can get, they're going to give him to him. Yeah. Right? Well, because, he probably wants to play all the time, you know. I mean, he's got to catch up in a hurry. Because he, yeah. he he had playing time, he had significant playing time, but I think in the preseason you may see a lot of him early on, and then yeah. they'll just back off. Because obviously you talk about losing depth in a hurry if something yeah. happens to Watson. There's no replacing a guy like uh, that. Don't even get me started on. Do you that. want to bubble wrap him, Mark? Like bubble wrap. You can't bubble wrap the quarterback. Though. You can't bubble wrap the quarterback, but you could put the red jersey on him, and it's pretty close. So you have that. You may have to do that a lot. Uh, and I know DeAndre Hopkins is going to have some unbelievable practices. You know, I popping practices, but I want to bubble wrap him too. Give him a couple and sit him down. I mean, the problem is this. It's a six-week period. Guys do need work. I mean, you need to, you know, keep the skills going. It's not like you just show up opening day and play football. We all know that. So you have to balance that out, and that's going to be their job. But the biggest priority group is offensive line to me. And you have to find out who your best five guys are. You have Nick Martin back. Everybody else is brand new in the starting equation to this team anyway. But I like Senio Kelamete. You know, I looked at the Saints-Vikings game a bunch. They've been rerunning it a ton on NFL Network, and you see Kelamete starting in that game. And you feel like, all right, he can play. You know, this guy can play. Fulton, you know he can play. The tackles, you know Henderson can play if he's 
tip-top physically and health-wise, you know, not just injury health-wise, but just personal health-wise with the Crohn's disease. Davenport's going to be a big mystery, but he looked decent at the end of the year. So let's just hope it works out because you want to talk about thin in a hurry. Tackle gets thin ultra quickly if it's not together. Yeah, I mean, everyone says O-line, but I think it re- it's really going to come down to the tackles because those are your most yeah. inexperienced right now at the position. Julian, obviously we know he had a few starts last year. Chantrell Henderson, so much ceiling and upside for a guy that had to deal with the Crohn's disease. Uh, Mike Devlin, the offensive line coach, said this offseason that a guy like Deshaun Watson makes – the O-line better. And I was very curious when he said that, what exactly he meant. And, you know, Wade Smith, obviously, I respect Wade Smith a ton. I've had him on the podcast as well. And I heard him on uh, one of, I think it was the morning show on Mad Radio. He Mm -hmm. was talking about why exactly Deshaun Watson makes the O-line better. And he said that the way that he functions both in and outside the pocket, it gives the pass rush a few seconds where they – it slows them down, basically. Right. They have to. They have to figure out what's happening with him. Where he's going. Where he's going, and it mm-hmm. makes them. He said. He said a half tick slower every yep. pass rush, and then over time that gives the o, the O line a little bit more time to 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 take over their responsibilities, do their job there on the field, and then the the pass rush gets a little bit less confident. Yeah. As a result, so I don't know. I'm curious to see how that works it's out. Not like they're going after a statue back there. They're not, but I think in a game like this, every second that you can, or every fraction of a second that you can gain as far as an advantage over these pass rushers mm-hmm. is huge. Like, you look at Jadevian Clowney and J.J. Watt. Like, they just, ball snap, they go. But if you can give them some hesitation, yeah. you know, it just I mean, gives you. That split second that's, means everything. That's, that the ball's out. That fraction of a second means everything, especially yeah. to a quarterback to get the ball yeah. out, find an open receiver. Good point. All right, good explanation by Wade that you just relayed to that us. That I just sort of jumbled the words. He said it much Space more eloquently it, than theft. I did. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, another position group that I'm talking about in this article that's uh, up on HoustonTexans.com of more training camp to-dos. Determine exactly what the playmaking depth is at running back. Because with Deontay mm. Foreman's health situation, I want to see how quickly he comes back. Because if he can't come back right away, you've got a playmaking depth situation here. I know Alfred Blue can come in and help you out. There's no question about that. I want to see what Troy Main Pope does. Irvin's health, hey, I don't know, big question mark there. And then you look at you look at the rookies. You look at uh, LeVon Coleman and Terry Swanson. I don't know what the playmaking depth is like, really. And I think they have to find out what they've got there, especially if Deontay Foreman can't go right away. I think you have to play to the strengths of your running backs Mm -hmm. before Deontay Foreman comes back. I think what Lamar Miller does is very different from what Deontay Foreman does, and that's very different from what Alfred Blue does. So what Lamar Miller's really good at, he's really good at blocking. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have to compensate for the fact that you've got a very young Mm O-line, and so you have a guy like Lamar, and you utilize him for his blocking skills. When Deontay Foreman comes back, he's got speed. He's able to get up the field really quickly. You you utilize them in different ways. And then Alfred Blue comes in, and he seems to – Every now and then he'll have a game where he rushes for over 100 yards. Yep. But I'll tell you one thing. When Deontay Foreman comes back, it is going to be exciting to watch. You just hope a guy like that can recover from an Achilles and be back to him his full self, what we saw last year at Arizona. Yeah, it's going to be tough. All right, another one. Preparing for the new kickoff rule as special teams gets upgraded. And this uh, is kind of a, a yeah. two, two-pronged thing here because you're upgrading special teams. And you have to prepare for the new kickoff rule, which I think, DP, is going to be interesting opening week to see how people handle this. I don't think we're going to learn the whole story in in preseason. (laughs) It's going to be opening week. Oh, here's what Belichick's doing with it. Oh, my gosh. And guess what? Texans are playing him, right? So you got to be ready for whatever this is, whatever the nuances are. Now, 
as the Texans try to improve on special teams, I don't know how you feel, but I equate – I like watching practice. You know this. I like the one-on-one drills. I like the – and I heard you talking about this with Johnny. I like watching the seven-on-seven and all that. One thing I don't like watching is special teams practice. Watching special teams practice for an NFL team is like watching an NBA team shoot free throws. It's like, <sighs> you know, <laughs> that's the part where – I go to the bathroom. Uh, you know, I want to see who's returning. I hope special teams is not listening. They to the understand show right now. this. They feel the same. No, they don't, I don't know if they feel the same way. <laughs> I don't think Brad Seeley. No, Brad Seeley doesn't because like, that's like I'm on. I'm, I'm the <laughs> head coach time. of what's going on right now on this field with everybody involved. It's really important, obviously. I'm, I'm actually not looking forward to the new kickoff rules. I think it's going to be a total flag fest. I just remember them practicing flag this. Flag fest. It, and was it OTA? Yeah, OTAs. They were practicing it. Offsides. They brought in the rest. You know, you got to have so many guys line up this way. So yep. many. These guys have to be this many yards off the line of scrimmage. These guys can be closer to it. It just There were so many specific details, and I think it's very hard that you – to remember all those pieces, especially if that's not the way that it's been played before. Yeah. So I think it's going to take some adjusting to, but, hey, that's what training camp's for. The one thing I do like watching is seeing who the return guys are, like that is who, they're, who they're thinking about as potential return guys. And if I were them, I would mess with people, you know. I would put, like, all right, Leckler's going to punt, but to return – we're going to have John Weeks. No, I'm just kidding. But Bill uh, O'Brien Bill O'Brien used to do this all the time. His first year, I remember Arian back there yeah. returning. I remember oh, seeing. he would be such a great kickoff Kareem returner. Jackson back there. Return- well, he had everybody back. And I thought, there is no way you're putting all these guys back there to return kicks. But I th- I don't know. I don't know if it was to throw the media off or it was just be- to, keep th- to keep things interesting at practice. I think he wanted everybody to dip their toe in the special team's waters. You know, it keeps people humble. Plus, it improves your special teams, you know, but I don't know if he was going to risk that during an actual game situation. I don't know if I want to see Will Fuller return punts anymore. Thank I you. don't think that we no. will see too much. I saw of Braxton Miller get hurt doing that last year against Tennessee. I don't know if I need to see this. I want somebody back there who, you know, you hate to say, this guy's expendable, put him back there. But <laughs> Will Fuller, you cannot afford to lose him. He's just too good with Watson. I mean, look at that. Well, look what they did. Seven touchdowns well, in four games. Well, this was also not even his thing, returning punts. I think when the Texans drafted him, they put well, him in that spot it, because but, of his speed. But not he didn't do a whole lot of it at Notre Dame. Well, the problem with him is, uh, you know, he's got that speed, so the coaches see it, and they just go nuts. But I mean, it's, it's just like it's too tantalizing <laughs> to not use. Uh, but that's all I have, really. The rest is just easy. It's easy. You just play football. I'm worried about quarterback, of course, behind Deshaun Watson, but everybody is. I think you can win some games with Brandon Whedon with this football team, but, you know, we all know what it's about to keep it number four healthy, and then things should go, I'm not going to say smoothly, but they'll be really exciting, and you hope for the best. I think that's the case with every team, pretty much. No, yeah. no team wants to see their backup get in there. But you know what? If you've got some guys in there that can give them some relief. You know when the Texans are up by – what was it against Tennessee? You said you'd never 40, said it before. and they won by 43. You said, I've never in my life said this on a broadcast. Texans mm-hmm. are now up by 40. You'd uh, love to see more games like that. 40. 40. I'd love to take those 40 points and, and dish them out in <laughs> other games where I've needed some points here just and there. Just amortize them over the season. I mean, you'd go undefeated last year maybe. All right, DP, thanks a lot. Thanks, Mark. All right, coming up, Jeff Van Gundy. I had him on the podcast, Vandermeer's View, and we're going to have some – Great moments from that one, and I mean great. He's great. You know, I do my thing. I'm just trying here. But Van Gundy was awesome, and it's next on Texans All Access. All right.
Texans All Access here from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Okay, recently I caught up with Jeff Van Gundy in the Vandermeer's View podcast. You can check that out at HoustonTexans.com. Here are a couple of highlights of that. We talked about everything from the Rockets to the Knicks to the Texans. And also Jeff's involvement with ProVision, an outstanding school in Sunnyside, dealing with at-risk youth. And it is phenomenal, the job they do there. And Roynell Young, former NFL defensive back, leading the way there. ProVision-Inc.org. Just Google ProVision Houston, and you'll get information on this wonderful school. Anyway, here's Jeff Van Gundy. We started out this segment, anyway, talking about the Houston Texans and NFL football, maybe compared to basketball a little bit, his perspective. Well, I think number one to me is just how few games you have to get it right in football. So you go on a three-game losing streak in football, that means you haven't won for three weeks. That means, like in basketball, three-game losing streak is, yeah, we'll, we'll bounce back. Everybody goes through that. In football, you know, you take a bad break in a game, you know, a field goal hits the upright and falls in or out, depending on on your perspective, can make the difference between being a playoff team and out of the playoffs. And I also think because of the format of football that once you get in in football, you have a chance. You have a chance to win it. And uh, in basketball, the best teams, because it's a best out of seven, they're usually going to rise to the top. In football, getting in to me is exceptionally hard. And then once you're in, though, you have an, uh, a legit chance to, to win it all. And uh, to me, that's what I love about NFL football. Like, there's no series. You play one game, and if, you, if you're if you the better team on that day, you advance. And then the I love the Super Bowl being on a neutral field, too. I think it it's the best way uh, to find out and to increase, you know, fandom. I mean, and also it's just – it's like a holiday in – in the sports world where you don't find that in basketball as much. When you look at the way this game is played and the way this game is coached, uh, you're watching from the seats sometimes. How much are you coming to games? Are you able to come to games? Oh, yeah. You have your job. I come every – I'll miss one. Last year I missed – didn't we play on Christmas last year? Yeah. Yeah, so I had a Christmas game. And my family, my my older daughter, we come together um, since she came back from college and is working in town. So we'll we'll be there every every Sunday, park in the same spot, walk the same route, come eat at the same place. Uh, you know, really, you know, uh, section uh, that we're in one ten. Uh, it's interesting, like that row of people have we've become friends. The row of people, mm-hmm. both in front of us and behind us. You're watching kids grow up. You're watching, you know, some people being very affected by uh, the hurricane, and they didn't make it back uh, for you know many of those games that season because they were trying to, you know, uh, fix their lives. I mean, so you get – I love the feeling of camaraderie, not just everybody rooting for the Texans and debating, you know, play calls and strategy and all that, but just the camaraderie of the of the group around you. It's been the best part of being a season ticket holder uh, with the Texans. What do you think of just Deshaun Watson as you observe uh, him doing his thing? Well, I was a huge Matt Schaub fan, and uh, um, first of all, we've been blessed with incredible coaches. I was thinking about this on the way over to see you today. You know, Dom Capers, Gary Kubiak, and now Bill O'Brien, I mean, and then the great coordinators and the you know position coaches. 
And and quarterback play to me, it seems like in football, and I know nothing about it. I, I love watching football, but I can't. I'm no expert. Um, I love Schaub, and then, but Deshaun Watson, like, can you be the best that's ever played for a team in seven games? And <laughs> and I'm like, those seven games. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I was like, the. The playmaking ability yep. was mesmerizing. I was watching him. I'm not a Twitter guy, but I was watching him on Bleacher Report today doing those uh, some drills with his footwork, and I can yeah. I got the pit in my stomach. Is he is he looking right? It's you know like oh my goodness. But hey, we have a real chance, mm-hmm. like with him. Like this could be a run of like you know 12, 15 years of great quarterback play uh, that uh, makes this a special era of Texans football. Jeff Van Gundy with us on Texans Radio. Tell me about Yao, what it was like to coach him. What was that era like for you? Well, I think people, because Yao was injured, they tend to forget how good he was when he did play. So at that time, uh, Shaq was clearly the best center. Right. Uh, And then the third best center at that time was a young Dwight Howard. The difference between, and Yao was second, the difference between Shaq and Yao was far less than it was between Yao and Howard. Uh, Yao was clearly on this Hall of Fame path. Um, he was dominant as an offensive player. Now, he had some dif- defensive challenges because of his size, mobility, guarding the pick and roll was hard, but he was so good at the other end that other teams couldn't play small. Like you see a lot of teams downsizing now. You couldn't have done that against Yao. Yao would have had 50 on you in a game. He was also the best teammate I have ever coached. He literally was, and people would say this about other players, but this was true in Yao's case. He was as happy for other people's and other players' success as he was for his own. So if he, you know, had 12 in a game and we won and someone like Rafer Alston had 22, he wasn't the, the star player that, was upset that someone else stole some of his thunder. He was actually excited for that person. And I think that's a rare quality in great players today that they can be as genuinely happy for other success. So he was the best teammate uh, you could ever coach. And the other thing that set him apart was he had a tremendous sense of humor. Uh, It was sly. It was sarcastic. Sometimes you'd, you'd think back 10 minutes like, was he just making fun of me? Uh, truly just a superior person. So Hall of Fame player, even better person, character. Um, and now he runs, you know, he's the commissioner of the uh, Pro League in China. Uh, he's doing very well. He comes back here every once in a while, and I see him. Uh, and it's always good to see him because he has great perspective. One thing I want to ask you about athletes, and clearly some work harder than others, and work is something that's available to us all, really, especially in that context. You know, the gym's open. You can go work. You can go do your thing. Why, in your opinion, do some people do it and some people don't? I mean, this has to be the greatest mystery of life when it comes to coaching. Well, for me, it's, it's pretty easy answer. Some people actually love the game, and some people love what the game brings to them. The people that actually love the game – are going to be naturally drawn to the gym and to work and to improve. The guys who who do it because they're good at it, but they just don't have that love, they'll do what they have to to try to get by. 
but they'll never commit fully. And when you think about it, it would be hard. Like if I was a naturally good uh, person, which I'm not, at construction, and because I was good at it, I felt I had to do it because it paid the bills, but I really didn't enjoy it. The drudgery it would be to get up every day and go do something you don't like just because you're good at it, I get. Now, what you have to try to do as a coach is try to figure out who loves it because they'll continue to improve and who just does it to get by and to make a living. And uh, uh, I was fortunate for the most part, uh, the people that I worked under, Carol Dawson here uh, in Houston, uh, in New York, the guys I worked for there, they were pretty good at picking the guys that really, really wanted to compete for championships. They wanted to improve. They had incredible pride in their craft. And so guys like Ewing and Yao and so many others, um, those are the guys you got to try to find. Why is it so hard to get some guys to play defense? Is it the same thing? Well, it's part the same thing. Like I always say, it shouldn't be hard – to get guys to to try on defense if they care about winning. What you have to sell is I, I, I'm not talking to you about defense. I'm talking to you about winning. If you want to win, you'll voluntarily commit to that end of the floor too. And so we would talk time and time again. Now, some guys' abilities uh, aren't as good at that area. Maybe their lateral quickness or their, you know, like Yao, for instance. You know, he was never going to be a great pick-and-roll defender. But what you – always could point to in a film session with the rest of the team is he's giving what he has to this pursuit of being a gr- as good a defender as he can. Right. We have no complaints with that. Right. It's up to me as a coach to try to put him in the right scheme with the right matchup so that we cover up for his non-strengths. Um, but if you're getting the requisite effort, attention to detail, commitment – you can be a good defensive team even with some limitations. All right, one more for you. Tell me about international coaching, international ball. You've been winning. Like, does this wet the whistle? Is this enough for you now? Well, I, I <laughs> like wise? it because it's it's coaching the G League player, mm-hmm. you know, the minor league player, to try to help the very best NBA players qualify for the World Cup in uh, next fall, 2019. And it's going to be a challenge. we got to finish in the top three in our division Right now we're five and one, uh, but there's other teams five and one, and there's some four and two teams. So it's going to be hard because we don't get the very best players from our country where the other countries do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's really been fun uh, to get to know these G League players, their plight. Um, they're right on the. A lot of them that we have are right on the fringe between making it to the NBA and not. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's so frustrating for them to be so close, and to try to help them, you know, uh, by coaching them and then also promoting them uh, to the NBA teams. Um, we've we've had a lot of times. Um, we've had I think 31 different players play for us, and I think 14 have now gone on uh, to get at least a 10-day contract in the NBA. Oh, good. So we're proud of that for them. Um, so it's been fun and. I, I've always missed coaching, um, absolutely missed coaching. And this doesn't, like, wet the whistle as much as it says to me, uh, man, there's no better five minutes in life than after a great road win. 
Like we run one in Argentina uh, last summer, and I'll tell you what, uh, no one in America knew that we did it, but those people in that locker room, the players, the coaching staff, the administrators for USA Basketball, there's no better five minutes in life than that. It felt great. Huh? Oh, man. I heard a rumor you coached your daughter's basketball team at one point. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, UCAL. <laughs> UCAL. And and, and uh, everybody always says, you know, you know, such and such a league in basketball. I'm sure it's in football, too. It's a player's league. I'll tell you the ultimate player's league. Fourth grade UCAL basketball. <laughs> you know who beat me uh, in a playoff game was Adam Wexler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Adam Wexler's team. They drilled us, I think. Yeah, much... He'll be telling that story for the rest of his life. Oh, you should have seen him parading around. His chest was thrown out. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah, but I, I, you sport... Who listens more, fourth grade girls or NBA guys? Fourth grade girls, what I found out is they really care about two things, their friends and water. You know, like they, <laughs> they want water and their friends. The basketball was purely like yeah. uh, just a reason to be out there. So mm. um, I would say without question, the NBA guys, uh, I didn't understand what the the cliche of herding cats was right. until you coach oh, yeah, fourth it. grade girls basketball. That is herding cats. That's it. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. It was great to see you. There's Jeff Van Gundy from the Vandermeer's View podcast. Thanks very much to Jeff for being on that podcast and uh, allowing us to use some of this on the radio program. And don't forget about Jeff's involvement in that outstanding school in Sunnyside ProVision, ProVision-Inc.org for more information on that school, which does an amazing job transforming the lives of young kids who otherwise might not have that opportunity at all. That's going to do it for the show tonight. Thanks, Deepy, for being on as well. We'll talk to you from the Greenbrier tomorrow night. Have a great evening and go Texans.